You're listening to the Arise Church Podcast. We are an Acts 29 church in Ventura, California, where we exalt Christ, embrace community, and engage culture. Find out more info or hear more sermons at our website, ariseventura.com. Thanks for listening. James chapter 2 is where we're starting today. And the thing about James chapter 2 is that there is no such thing. All right. The the word of God is inspired. It's infallible. It is God's very word. The chapter divisions and the numbers there, those are not from Jesus. Those were given to you to help you to locate where uh, we are so that we can find our way through the word. All right. So the reason why I bring that up is not just so that I can, uh, you know, share some 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 knowledge but so that I can point you to remembering where we've been in James chapter one. And so that you can see that it is a continuation of the same thought. And so as we talk about another exhortation today, and we talk about uh, what James chapter two calls us to, I want you to be bearing in mind what Barry was talking about last week and even where we ended in James chapter one. All right. So James chapter two is where we'll start. I'm going to read. Verses 1 through 13, if you would join me. My brothers, and it should say my brothers and sisters, right? My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in. And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, You sit here in a good place while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones who are rich, the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under under the law of liberty for judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Guys all know who Gandhi is. You know who Gandhi is, yes? You know probably something about him that he was born into an Indian family and uh, he's kind of a a, a philosopher, if you would, and and just all around considered to be a, a good person. Uh, over in India, 
Well, Gandhi got a hold of the Gospels and he read them backward and forward. And when he read Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, he was convinced that this was the answer to the caste system that he grew up in being overturned. The caste system has four levels of what it means to be an Indian, and it's all hereditary. It's based on where you were born and who you were born to. And he and his family were at one of the bottom rungs, the third level, just before those who would be considered to be slaves. They were down there. And so all his life he had felt and had been oppressed. And when he got a hold of the Gospels, he read through them and he was convinced that Jesus and his teaching is the answer to the overturning of that. And so he rushed and he went to a local church. And when he went to the church, someone asked him about his family. When they found out who he was, they turned him around and said, you go and you worship somewhere else. You don't belong here. Your kind doesn't belong here. And after that, he says, if Christians also have a caste system, I don't want to have anything to do with the church. You guys know who Gandhi is? James makes one point in these 13 verses. And his one point is in verse one. It can be summed up as this. Partiality is inconsistent with our new identity. Partiality, favoritism, biases, prejudices, caste systems, rank and file based on external circumstances is inconsistent with our new identity in Christ. As he makes that point, he just says, my brother, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. When he goes on and he explains it and he gives an explanation and he gives examples, he's saying, I'm calling you not to do that. If you name the name of Christ as you hold the faith, as you walk with Jesus, don't be the kind of person who would size someone up based on what's on their external, uh, what their external superficial circumstances are, or some kind of stratification of there's a higher level and a lower level, and then somehow measure that over into how you're going to engage with them in the church. As an African church father, you guys know I, I love reading some of these guys and seeing what, uh, how they helped us shape things. And Tertullian, right, the guy who helped shape the Trinity, the idea that yeah, the word Trinity is not in the Bible, but he wrote and he helped and he met with other guys to say, well, the way to understand the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit is like understanding a Trinity, right? That guy, he said about this, that you must not judge faith by people. You can only judge people by faith. You don't judge faith by people. You don't judge a person's uh, spiritual uh, status and, and God's love for them based on who they are and where they're from and what they look like. It's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the inside. And so even as Al prayed a moment ago and he talked about the fact that no matter who you, uh, you, you think of, what person you think of and where they are on God's earth, they are a what? An image bearer, he said. We're all created in the image and likeness of God. And so here you have James saying, let me give you this hypothetical scenario and show you how inconsistent partiality is with our new identity. You guys tracking with me? Again, James has one point. 
I don't have a bunch of points for you. Today is just one point. We need to make sure we understand that. You can write it down in the middle of your Bibles, right? Partiality is inconsistent with our new identity in Christ. I'm going to give you some reasons, though. Y'all know I love to do that. So here's the first reason why. You show partiality and you act contrary to Christ. I got my Bible text right here. So if I need to open this and go to some other places, I will. But I'll I'll look at my iPad. Partiality is inconsistent with our new identity because showing partiality is contrary to Christ. What's the first thing that he says? My brother, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus, the Lord of glory. He he starts out and he just says, there's no way that you should be the kind of person who would be partial or prejudiced or biased. You should not show favoritism. You should not be that individual if you hold the faith. And he says that, you know, essentially that word for partiality will help us to. Here's a way to help us to understand it. It's holding a biased perspective and making a judgment, making judgments based on external circumstances. Okay. So he says, for if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, you got these two glaring differences. When he talks about a man coming in who's gold fingered is the way it would literally read. It's not just saying that he has a gold wedding band on, but more so as it was in their day that a person who had a higher social status of wealth, he would wear and stacks and stacks of gold rings to show who he is. And it's like, you know, he comes in and he's flaunting who he is. And it's very clear that this person is dazzling. Right. It even says that he has fine clothing. It's like he's shining. He comes in and it's like there's beauty there. If that man comes in and then a poor man, the poor man comes in and it says that he has what? Shabby clothing, dirty, grimy, unsightly, soiled, right? It's just there's nothing about him that's impressive whatsoever. And it's even very clear that he just he doesn't have much. That man also comes in. He says, if you pay attention to the one and then you cast aside the other, you see how the paying attention was? Hey, here, you sit here. Come up here. There's a there's a reserve section. Here's a nice place for you to sit. And then the other guy, he tells him, hey, you, you go stand over there. There's not even a seat for you or you can sit at my feet. Literally, it would say it, it, would, it would be to say you can sit under my footstool. So you just. You're in a place of dishonor while I'm going to honor this other individual. You guys see that? That's inconsistent with our new identity. This shows that like. They would have considered the poor man to not be worthy of anything in their eyes. And James wants us to understand that's in the eyes of the world. That's not in the eyes of a person who understands Christ and his kingdom and God's love and mercy and compassion. He describes a poor man, and I think sometimes it's hard for us because we all think we broke. (laughs) We all think we're poor. And some of us are more at a disadvantage uh, place in terms of like economically, if you would, if you want to just think about material poor. But when they read this, I want you to understand that they also knew 
categories as Jewish believers. They knew five, at least five categories for what it meant when the Bible talked about the poor. Let me read them to you. They talked about the widow. You remember James 1 and 27, which was last week. He's already told us to care for the widow. They talk about the orphan. You remember James 1 and 27 last week. He told us to care for the orphan. Then the foreigner, which would be a resident alien or a refugee all over the Old Testament. These Jewish believers would have known that their responsibility is what? To care for those who are sojourners, refugees, resident aliens and or foreigners in their midst. The poor were also synonymous with the sick, which would have been lame or deaf or blind. Right. So it wasn't just about monetary uh, poverty. And then it would have been in their mind, they're thinking even about prisoners. Okay, so when you think about the poor, broaden that out a little bit. And work kind of from this definition, anyone who is oppressed and depending on the goodwill of another to help him. You remember when uh, the, the rich man said to Jesus or, or the, the, the religious man said to Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? <laughs> right. And he goes through this whole thing. He basically tells him your neighbor is anybody who needs your help. <laughs> it doesn't matter who it is. Your neighbor is anyone who needs your help. And so here we've been told that we have uh, a, a call to serve and to think of the poor just in the same way that we would the rich, not with any partiality or some kind of division between them. If anybody is dependent on you for their livelihood, you and your goodwill, anyone who's at risk, anyone who is vulnerable, that person Biblically speaking is more accurately who we're talking about when we say the poor. But I mean, it is true that right here you literally can see a gold fingered person with some really nice clothes on and a, and a poor man who comes in and shabby. But I just want you to understand it's broader than just money. All right. You guys would know that Jesus has told us that we will be judged based on the way that we interact with those individuals. Maybe you don't know it. Matthew 25 says this. That whoever you as you've done it to the least of these, so you've done it to me. Right. If you think about the, 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 the concept that uh, Jesus isn't disconnecting our faith from our work. He's literally calling us to that understanding of you will know that you genuinely do belong to me at the final revelation of all things because you will be rewarded eternal life or blocked from eternal life based on the way you serve the least of these. Did I just tell you that the only way that you can be saved is to do that? No. Did I just tell you that you will know salvation is true in your heart and that faith is real. It has taken residence up in you by the works that you do, including but not limited to serving the poor. Yes. And so it's really it's, it's based on evidence, right? So it will be inconsistent with Christ. It will be inconsistent with our relationship to Jesus for us to be those who would say we have no care and we have no concern for the poor or we're partial toward them. If we go back to James, though, in verse number six, what did he say? You've dishonored the poor man. 
you know, dishonoring. You, you've cast them aside. You've shown that you don't even believe that there's anything that he is worth. There's nothing that uh, that, that he should be. Uh, he should not be looked to with any dignity, but uh, otherwise just cast aside. I think it's interesting that the James, the, let me know, um, make sure you guys don't forget this. James, the half brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. Is saying the exact same thing that his brother did. That you'll be judged based on the way that you deal with those who don't have. He basically puts out in verse number six that there's two tracks, right? You have this earthly track and you have a, a, a kind of a spiritual track. He says poverty and riches, right? And you have poverty and riches just based on earth. And then he also likens that to poverty and riches in the kingdom and uh, spiritually. As soon as this verse was given and as soon as those Jewish believers would have read this, they understood very clearly the call. Like like we're taking more time to explain it than they needed to, because at the end of the day, it's just like, oh, yeah, that's that's plain. That's plain to see. Like there, it can't be. I can't say that I'm one of God's people if I don't act towards one of God's, you know, uh, one. If I don't act towards others in the way that God would. So here's 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 what I want us to understand from the first from kind of just the first expression that if you're going to bear the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, then you're going to act in the same manner that he does. Show no partiality. Those who say that it's, you know, well, you know, it's not really my job or it's not my responsibility are, are missing the fact that this is written to all of them in scattered places in a dispersion. And he literally says you. And when he says you, it's not necessarily one of those y'alls. <laughs> this is this is individually spoken to you. Show no partiality. Another reason why he says that partiality is inconsistent with our identity is because it's contrary to the kingdom. Partiality is contrary to the kingdom, right? In the wicked ways of the world, what do you see? That wealth determines worth. Does it not? In the ways of the world, wealth determines your worth. But James wants us to understand that poverty doesn't place a person at a spiritual disadvantage. In fact, he is, 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 is kind of hinting at the fact that riches do. Poverty doesn't place a person at a spiritual disadvantage. Riches do. That there's danger in that. A mentor of mine used to always talk about functional atheism. You guys know what an atheist is, right? Functional atheism is to profess to know Christ when you don't live like you know Christ, right? And oftentimes we live like we don't know Christ because we don't depend on him because we're self-made men and we have all that we need. I was reading this week. You guys know I'm in Proverbs chapter 30. What coming up on Tuesday or Wednesday or whatnot on the 30th? And what does he say? Don't give me riches because I might forget you. There, there's, there's this, there's, I mean, it tempts us to forget God, to act as though we just have everything and we have no need of him. Riches themselves are not necessarily wrong, but they can tease things out of our heart. And so what we know about the, the, the Jerusalem church is that 
uh, the, you know, the church that James is like writing to that's scattered everywhere is that they've actually been losing a lot of their property and they've had people taking it from them and they've been drugged into court and they've been sued and they have been persecuted and they've had all these experiences. And there were several people who are very poor among them. In fact, the other churches, right, you go and you see like there's a collection that's being taken up that's actually being sent to Jerusalem for uh, to be dispersed to them because they have needs. But yet they have been struggling with this idea of reciprocity, wanting to give and extend help and to aid those who could return the favor. Isn't it easier to do that if somebody says, hey, let me borrow a couple bucks. Loan me this. I'll give it right back. In fact, I'll give it back to you with interest. I'm just waiting on blah, 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 blah. It's much easier to do oftentimes. And the Jerusalem church have been struggling with that. And so here he comes and he just tells them, hey, I don't want you to be showing partiality. And he gives, again, that hypothetical, suppose a man came in, but he's attacking one thing that you should not be this kind of person. Don't hold that attitude in your heart and don't be the person who carries out those actions. You guys realize that when you help help the poor, you have an opportunity to actually show and share uh, with the world the, the heart of God. You display Christ's character, you display God's character and his heart because the values of the kingdom are upside down. You're not helping somebody who can help you back. You're not giving to somebody who can give back to you in return. You're doing something that doesn't make dollars and cents. <laughs> it make no dollars. It make, it make no sense, right? Twice over. <laughs> in the kingdom, leaders do things like serve. They don't lord it over other people. Christians give freely. They're generous. And just, you know, we find that the, the Bible tells us about the church in, in various places that they gave out of their extreme poverty. So it's like you didn't even have any material resources much. Jesus praised the widow who gave her last might right over against people who came and were just like throwing it down because they had a whole bunch to give. And it's just they're tipping God because they have a whole lot. The, the, the reality is, is that in the kingdom, our values are so different than the world's that you really can't even usually tell where it's coming from, why it's coming, how, how is a person that gracious and compassionate and merciful and generous? It's because our love and our allegiance is to the king in the kingdom. It's not to this world and the wealth that it has here. We don't find our worth in the things that we can get, right? Our identity is in Christ and we have much to celebrate when we think forward, not necessarily thinking about instant gratification. I'm saying a lot and I'm not reading as much, but verse number five says, listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who loved him. The word for chosen is the same word you probably already can understand, elect, right? So God has a special place in his heart, like a very specific choice that isn't based on what they do and who they are. It's based on his love for them. God chose them. And he said he chose them. <laughs> he chose those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith. 
So now when you come back to that earthly and that spiritual poverty and riches, poor and rich, poor and rich, you realize that, 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 that there's a certain aspect of a person who might be materially poor or might be a prisoner or might be a refugee or might be a widow, or might be an orphan, somebody who has experienced things in this life that are very frustrating in terms of frustrating of your circumstances. And just, I mean, it's one of those things that's mind boggling all the time. You see that individual is just so rich in faith. They just believe God. They trust God. They walk with God. They are gracious. They're still generous. They're still opening their home and their lives to people. And they've experienced all types of calamity. Why is that? Because the kingdom of God transforms our hearts and it changes things, totally changes things. I have written here that greater dependency oftentimes does equal greater faith. And the truth is, is that as you begin to serve people who have a greater dependency, you will begin to experience what that looks like and how that is and how it's true. Not saying that they're perfect. They could be bitter. They could be conniving and all kinds of stuff, right? There's all kind of, it, 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 you're not perfect because you're poor. That's not what I'm saying. Not sinless because of that. But there is a, an element of this that James is driving at to say, God chose them to be rich in faith. And then he says to be heirs of the kingdom. You know what a kingdom is? Do you realize that every Christian woman and man are queens and kings in God's kingdom right alongside Jesus Christ? That we reign, that we will reign with him. So there's this like this idea that kingdoms are for kings. And he's saying that right along with a person who had a lot on earth or maybe, you know, or or had a, a moderate income. What do we call it? A middle class, you know, here middle class is like a whole lot of money. In, in California, <laughs> right? So like we rich, <laughs> those of us who might fit into that bracket. And so the thing is, is like, here's the truth. Like that doesn't matter. When the kingdom is finally realized, you will reign with Christ as an heir of the kingdom. You inherit all of the riches in the kingdom of God. And this is not just a kingdom that we like think about in the here and now. He says it is promised. So it's not just something that incites us to have happy thoughts, but it literally it it calls us to hope because it's a promised kingdom and it's a promised inheritance. Right. We are heirs in the kingdom. Every single person, including those who would otherwise, by the world standards, been the poor. Skipped ahead a bunch. Let me move on. Here's another reason why. Partiality is inconsistent with our new identity. It's right here, plain in the text, because showing partiality is committing sin. What did he say? He said that uh, you dishonored the poor man. You saw that. But then he goes on and he says, if you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing well. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. When he goes and he says that there's no difference between uh, adultery and murder and one law, you break them all. It means you get the same penalty. Doesn't mean that there is no uh, maybe difference between a lie and and a murder uh, or or hatred. Like Jesus said, the hatred in your heart is murder, right? We talked about that last week. It was a week before. I don't remember who brought it up. But, But the thing is, is like, here's the deal. Like there are different types of sins, but 
over against the law and God's holiness, you break one, you break them all. You, 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 you're guilty of them all <laughs> because what? You get the same penalty. And so what he's saying is you need to understand if you show partiality, you sin. You might not be a person who uh, who uh, would, would murder. You might not have committed adultery. He said, but literally like you're saying that you love your neighbor as yourself, which Jesus said the whole law and all of the prophets hinges on loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself. He literally tells them. If you're showing partiality, you're not really doing that. I know you guys can see that clearly, right? It's right there in the text. You commit sin. And so think about showing partiality, right? You're holding this biased perspective. You're making a judgment on external circumstances. A guy comes in. He's really gold fingered. The other one is in his shabby clothing. And what you do is you honor one. You dishonor the other. You show mercy to one. You have zero mercy for the one who has real needs. It's sinful. It's wrong. Most of us don't see ourselves committing that sin. So let me give you three reasons or three ways that you might be in danger of showing partiality. Here's the first one, making external things the ground of our affection and honor. Do we make external things, things on the surface, the ground of your affection and the ground of your honor? What's an external thing? Politics. Ethnicity, culture. Money, clothing, status is the ground of your affection and the way that you honor other people in those things. What about charisma or giftedness? We definitely do that as a culture. We think nothing counts except for a person's greatness and their upward mobility. We move on to the second one. The second one would be believing or doubting a truth because of the person that brings it to you. Believing or doubting a truth because of the person that brings it to you. So if he said it, it must be true. If she said that, I ain't even trying to hear it. That's partiality, y'all. You'd be in danger of doing that, paying too much attention to the man or the woman than to the message that they bring to you. Especially if it's because like of uh, an appreciation for something superficial or appreciation for them uh, and their giftedness or whatnot, or just a liking for them. That's showing partiality. And on the flip side, we saw that Jesus was rejected primarily because that's just the carpenter's son. You realize people missed salvation and eternal rescue based on the fact that they saw he's nobody. And we're talking about the son of God. We all have a propensity to operate that way. And we have to be careful and we have to examine our hearts. Here's another one. 
forgetting that a humble circumstance in the kingdom is actually a promotion. Down is the way up. That comes straight out of verse five. <laughs> that comes straight out of verse five, right? My beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs in the kingdom, which he's promised to those who love him? Think about Moses. Hebrews chapter 11 is the hall of faith. And it tells us about these people who we should model our lives after and who we should see as examples, a great cloud of witnesses, right? That we see like their faith should stimulate our faith. It says this about Moses. That he not only endured trials and endured persecution, but he considered it a better thing to be treasured than all the wealth he had in Egypt. You got to know about Moses for that to hit home, right? Go back and read through Moses's life. He understood that his reproach was a greater rich, a, a greater bit of wealth than all of the riches in Egypt. James is talking like his big brother, y'all. He's talking like Jesus Christ, like our big brother, but his literal half brother. He's talking just like him. His brother said this. Jesus said, blessed are you who are poor for the kingdom of God belongs to you. Blessed are you who hunger now and are hungry now for you will be satisfied. He said, blessed are you who weep now for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and they insult you and they reject your name as evil on account of the son of man. Rejoice in that day and jump for joy. Wait a minute. Gee, is this the same flow of thought that just what somebody estimate 50, 60 words ago? He said, count it all joy when you face various trials. Jesus said in the day that you're insulted, in the day that you're rejected and persecuted, rejoice and jump for joy. A humble circumstance is actually a promotion in the kingdom, y'all. Here's a positive way to give this one point. So if we know that partiality is inconsistent with our new identity, positively, he ends it and helps us to see that mercy is the fruit of genuine faith. Partiality is inconsistent. It doesn't belong here, has no place. Mercy is a fruit of genuine faith. One of the surest tests of our faith is our reaction to poverty a reaction to it and, 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 and not only our reaction, but our acceptance or our, or our rejection of those who would be poor. Or even our, uh, our re re acceptance or rejection of partiality itself. You know, a couple of weeks ago, temperature. Thank you. <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, and I really want to walk away. I'm going to stay here, y'all. Okay. So this iPad thing, I just got to get used to. I try to put a new case on it so I wouldn't have that problem. It's just, it's too hot for this. All right. So here's the thing. I don't have my notes again, but a couple weeks ago, I said to you guys, one thing, what did I say? That word about not doubting and wavering. We had Gary talk about being on the seat, tossed to and forward, right? I said that word is used later to talk about the kinds of division that can come up in the church based on showing partiality, right? He said, have you not made a distinction among yourselves? That is the word. Have you not literally caused there to be a chasm 
between and, and a caste like system between those who have and those who do not. If you show partiality to somebody and you're, you show favoritism to a person who comes into your midst and they just look better than the other individual. Let me see if I can make sure I don't lose too much of this. Yeah, verse four, have you not made the uh, distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? We don't even have time to get into that, but the idea is that remember, your heart is wicked, your heart is evil, and so as you judge who should be right, you've actually done it backwards and not like God has, right? You've, done, you've become a judge with evil thoughts. When you made a distinction and you made, uh, 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 you know, this, <laughs> this system of like, Truthfully, it's discrimination. That's the best way to understand the word. If you've discriminated against the poor in, in, in light of the rich, you've done that with an evil heart. And you, you, you think you're the judge. You think you're the one who should determine the spiritual placement of a person. And the reality is that that is not so. And so when he goes down and he goes uh, toward the end and he says mercy basically is the only genuine fruit of our lives. We, we end it with so speak and so act as those who are judged or to be judged under the law of liberty for judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy and mercy triumphs over judgment. God calls us to be merciful. Blessed are the merciful for they will receive mercy. You know, mercy is right up there with forgiveness. And when you think about uh, this word that's used here, you should be reminded of Matthew 18, which we just walked through, walked through thinking about forgiveness, that there was a man who was who had a servant who had a debt that he could not pay. And out of his pity and compassion, he gave the man mercy and forgave it all. And that man goes down and the word is used repeatedly. He goes down and he grabs a servant, of, a fellow servant of his, and he says, you owe me this, you must pay. And it is absolutely a small, insignificant debt. And the Bible tells us because he had no mercy, he showed no mercy on him. And what we're basically seeing there, just like we said about forgiveness, is that if you do not extend forgiveness, you should not expect to be forgiven. So if you are not the person who is merciful, you should not expect to receive mercy. God's calling us to an upside down kingdom, right? To, to where the values in the kingdom are totally different than what we've been taught, than what the world teaches and throws our way and what our hearts are drawn out and enticed towards, because that's really the reason why we would do that. You see a gold fingered man, somebody who's real, you know, uh, polished and, and nice and, and elegant and everything else, or somebody who speaks well, or somebody who is uh, more your kind or whatever it is. And you have an affinity for them and you move toward them and you push the other person aside and even tell them like you can sit under my footstool. It's because your heart actually sees those external circumstances as what like determines worth and significance and the likes. And so we're called really not to be those individuals. I do want to pull out something I, um, this is not overheated. I do want to pull out something because I put it on our site and I want you guys to go there and I want you to read it. OK, I want you to go and I want you to read the reflection questions for this week. And here's what they are. 
at least two of them I got right here for you. Are you in danger of showing partiality or favoritism in some way after hearing this and thinking about it? I want you to really consider that this week. Are you in danger of showing partiality or favoritism in some way? Follow up question to that very helpful question is on the website. You probably can see it now if you're still at ariseventura.com slash guided gathering. Another question I have there is, or another uh, exercise is, I want you to reflect on God's mercy to you in Christ. When we think about mercy and we think about the fact that mercy is like, is so fundamental to our faith, compassion and forgiveness and what God has given to us in Jesus Christ. I want you to reflect on that in your life, how God is merciful towards you. He doesn't deal with you based on your external. He doesn't deal with you even based on what you can do for him. You reflect on that and then ask, answer this question. Who do you need to extend the same quality of mercy to today? I want us to be thinking on those things. I want us to be considerate of those things because, again, Matthew 5 and 7 says, Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. And just like we study forgiveness, they go hand in hand. There are some of the reformers that started the Protestant Reformation that did not like the book of James because it just sounds like you got to do. It sounds like a whole lot of work, 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 work. What James is saying, though, is that our faith works. Our faith works. So. Yeah, saved by grace alone and faith alone. Absolutely. But guess what? If you really are, it works. You're not going to be a person who just receives the kingdom and does not extend it out. Every week we come to communion and I want to close the sermon today by leading us through communion. And I just want you to pray and be thinking right now, even silently about the fact that, hey, there very well may be in my heart some area of favoritism or some, you know, twinge of like partiality that causes me to gravitate toward one or or the other. You know, our world today wants you to do that. There's so much there's so much I I could say, but, you know, at the risk of um, trusting you to go back and let the Holy Spirit teach you and to get into the word. I, I, I decided not to, like, hit all of the buzzwords because like they're there. I'll give you one. That partiality is where we really get our word partisan from, y'all. Like literally at this time in your life and this time of our society, we have to work really hard to not be the kinds of people who would make distinctions between individuals based on superficial. That's very important. And so think on those things. And I'm going to let you just think for a moment and examine your heart. Ask the spirit of God. Would you now even just convict where you need to, Lord, encourage where you can uh, and, and where you will, Lord, and just do the work that only you can as we think quietly. And then we will take communion together in celebration of the fact that we can repent and we can change. And there is mercy for us.